Welcome back to another episode, the final episode of 2020 of the Adam Schefter podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. On today's podcast, we'll be joined by the former general manager of the New York Jets, former executive of the Miami Dolphins, Mike Tannenbaum, as he breaks down the situation for the number one overall pick and how Jacksonville and the New York Jets could and will be impacted going forward. And we'll be joined by the presumptive number one overall pick in the 2021 draft, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, as he begins to look ahead to life in the NFL. And finally, we'll have ESPN's analytics and statistical guru, Evan Kaplan, break down Trevor Lawrence, the upcoming draft class from 2021 and the quarterbacks in it, and who might emerge for the upcoming Super Bowl for this past season. But of course, we start with the Jets, the Jaguars, and the race for Trevor Lawrence. Who ever would have thought that the New York Jets punter, Braden Mann, would be the man that potentially would change history and shift the dynamics of the number one and number two overall picks? The Jets pulled off the improbable upset as only they can with their punter making a huge tackle, a game-saving tackle in the fourth quarter that helped the Jets win the game and lose the war. They lost out to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who now move into the number one slot in the race for the presumptive number one pick, Trevor Lawrence. Hard to imagine that the Jets did it, but they did, and it has implications across the board that we're going to go into with Mike Tannenbaum. And the irony is we had put together a whole episode on this podcast of Mike Tannenbaum talking about the Jets' failure to get Peyton Manning to leave Tennessee to come out and become the number one overall pick in the year that the Jets had it because the Jets would not promise him that he would be the number one pick, which even to this day is hard to imagine and hard to process. And we brought back Mike Tannenbaum after the Jets pulled the upset of the season in the NFL for take two of this podcast to talk about the ramifications of the Jets' upset. But before we get to Mike Tannenbaum, first I want to tell you about another special ESPN podcast. 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11, 2020, a standalone audio documentary that tells the story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans, as told by those who lived the events of that day and built entirely with archival and exclusive interviews, including Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci, March 11th, 2020, will tell the story of a day that started in one reality and ended in a new one. 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcast. And now, the former general manager of the New York Jets, the former executive of the Miami Dolphins, a man who's represented coaches as an agent in between his Jets and Dolphins job, my ESPN colleague, ESPN analyst, Mike Tannenbaum. Right, joining us now, my friend, my colleague, the former general manager of the New York Jets, executive of the Miami Dolphins, a man who's got his hands in many pots, one of the smartest businessmen I know. Take two, Mike Tannenbaum, and I say take two because take one came Friday, December 18th, when we did a long assessment of how Trevor Lawrence would fit into New York with the Jets, what they would have to do to convince him, and now we're on to take two, 
now that the Jets unexpectedly won on Sunday, beating the Rams. And I'm curious to know what your assessment is of the entire situation with Trevor Lawrence, his future, the Jets, the Jaguars, after watching the Jets beat the Los Angeles Rams unexpectedly leading to this take two. Well, Adam, it's great to be with you a second time. It's it's a privilege and <laughs> candidly an honor to be on with you again. And first of all, I think a tip of the cap to uh, Adam Gase uh, and the Jet coaches and players to go out to the West Coast. They just came back from a Seattle game that they didn't play well in. And this is a team that had the Patriots all the way down to the end. They should have beaten the Raiders, and they won the game. So tip of the cap to them. But I think the more interesting story is – you know, there's a very seldom travel route in our country, which is Route 26 East to 95 South, approximately 418.6 miles, which, of course, is the route and distance from Clemson University to Jacksonville, Florida. Now, look, the, the Jacksonville head coaching job isn't open, but to speculate to say that if it did open, Dabo Sweeney Adam has been on a number of team shortlists over the last two years. People see him as a program builder. They see him in, much in the mold of a young Pete Carroll. And if I'm Dabo Sweeney, and this is a big if, but if I ever was going to do it, why would I not travel 418.6 miles down the road with a franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence with a lot of good pieces in place, a left tackle, a pass rusher, a really good young corner, a great place to live, a good owner who has a lot of resources, and go from Clemson University to Jacksonville. How do you think each side review that? Do you think Dabo Sweeney would be desirable to Jacksonville? And do you think Jacksonville would be desirable to Dabo Sweeney from your perspective? So I this quite a bit uh, in my career. I had the good fortune of representing coaches between my time with the Jets and Dolphins. I remember spending a lot of time with Steve Kerr in particular. And when he was assessing opportunities for himself, he was talking about having to go to the right place for him. And that's one of the reasons he chose Golden State over the Knicks at, at the time. And given that as our backdrop, Adam, I would say that this is the right time for someone like Dabo because there's a good young nucleus of, again, we could go down the roster, but Josh Allen, C.J. Henderson, a lot of good young players. That and a lot of picks. And a lot of picks and a lot of cap room. And Dave Caldwell, look, there were some bumps in the road, but there are some good young players there. And if I'm going to go to a place, if I'm Dabo and I know myself and I'm being candid about a self-assessment, I'm going to do well in that environment. So much better off than going to a team that has maybe an older quarterback who's already set in his ways, like a Detroit and Atlanta. This would be an opportunity for me. And if I'm Jacksonville and I'm trying to reinvigorate my franchise, and you've mentioned it, Adam, draft, cap room, and now you're bringing Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence, the Jacksonville franchise would be transformed literally overnight. It would be unbelievable. And I don't know how much talk we've heard about Dabo going to NFL. I've always heard about Dabo being the potential successor to Nick Saban at Alabama. I haven't heard Dabo Sweeney connected as much to an NFL job. What is your assessment of that, Mike, from your experiences working in the NFL, a coaching agent, those sorts of things? Do you think he would do that? Yeah, again, I think you, if he ever was going to consider it, now would be the time. And yes, he did play at Alabama. That has certainly been speculated that if and when Coach Saban retires, that he could be on the very short list of people to replace him, especially given his recruiting prowess. But I think there's a lot of people in the NFL that are starting to rethink what it would take to be a good head coach. We're hearing names like Arthur Smith, who's a very young, thoughtful guy. And I think 
Dabo Sweeney fits in the mold again of a, of a Pete Carroll who formed his sort of like coaching ethos by having some bumps in the road early in his career at New England at the Jets, did really well at USC, and obviously now he's at the pinnacle of the profession at Seattle. And I think Dabo in his formative years kind of grew up on the job in Clemson. There would be some growing pains. He would have to have one, maybe two former head coaches on his staff, much the way we saw someone like Joe Judge bring in a guy like Jason Garrett or um, Kevin Stefanski bring in Bill Callahan, bring in a couple of veteran coaches to help you. Vance Joseph with Cliff Kingsbury is another recent example. And I think Dabo Sweeney in the right situation would have a chance to do well in the NFL. Do we have any sense that the NFL would appeal to him? You know, while I don't know for sure, I when I look at people like him, I would think if we would just cut Dabo Sweeney in half, what would ooze out of him is a world-class competitor, somebody that wants to compete against the best. He doesn't back down from Nick Saban or others. And I would think at some point when his head hits the pillow and I go to bed every night at Clemson, South Carolina, and let's just be candid here, I'm going to win nine to ten games a year with a B team. That's just the reality of where they are, to his credit, and the rest of the ACC. So why not scratch that itch if I'm never going to do it? And again, I can just go 418 miles down the road with a guy that I know is a has a chance to be a great quarterback. And by the way, to me, that is the biggest selling point that you could make. The NFL is hard, and there's not a lot of job security. But if you're going to a franchise with all those attributes that you mentioned, with all that cap room, with all those draft picks – and with the quarterback that you know and trust and believe in more than anybody who's going to be there for the next 15 years, why would you not do that? Now, look, as we tape this on Monday, December 21st, there are still two weeks in the regular season, and maybe Jacksonville upsets Chicago. Maybe it finds a way to win a game. Who knows? But let's flip it around now to the Jets side, Mike, and let's say the Jets finish now with the second overall pick. What would be your expectation? Would they then build around Sam Darnold, would they auction off the pick for more picks when they already have a lot, or would they go take the next highest-ranked quarterback in that draft? What do you think? So it's in this sequence. First and foremost, Adam, we have to nail the evaluation on Sam Darnold. Nothing else matters. 37 interceptions in, in pro football, 22 in college. Sam Darnold turns the ball over a lot. Now, if we're trying to build our case, we could say that going back to SC, he's had a number – of different offensive coordinators and head coaches in a very short amount of time. That was my concern when I evaluated him coming out. And candidly, it's still a concern. So we have to see what he does over the last couple of weeks. And then before we even get to the draft, there's two really intriguing players to me at the pro level, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. They're both young. They both started in Jameis's case, 70 games in the NFL. And can you clean up the mistakes that he made? That's something that, you know, has to be looked at very, very carefully. And then there's three other quarterbacks to me that would be in that discussion. It would be Justin Fields, Matt Jones, and Kyle Trask. So between the two in the NFL and the other three that we talked about, I would juxtapose Sam Darnold and those five quarterbacks. What do you think it's like for the Jets organization? Look, the players are thrilled. There's a burden of relief not to go down in history. But fans are despondent. I was getting texts from fans after the game, angry Jets fans, deflated Jets fans, frustrated Jets fans. What, what do you make of the whole situation like that if you're the Jets? Yeah, it's really a, a split feeling because the first floor of that facility in Florham Park today, you're doing backflips. They're talking about their resiliency and mental toughness. So the players and coaches, and the reality is, Adam, 
the conversations going on in those coaches' offices is they know that most of them won't be there next year, so they don't really care. You know, they can't come out and say that. They don't really care about where that organization's picking next year because they know the reality of the business is in likely all likelihood they won't be there. And if you're ownership in the front office, you're very measured publicly what you're saying. But, it, of course, behind closed doors, you're devastated that you're not going to get what could be literally a once in a 10 or 20 year talent in Trevor Lawrence. And it happened in the most unexpected way. You beat a good Ram team in LA, which is of all the scenarios we've seen this year, Adam, that one to me is probably the most uh, least likely to occur. This result, I know it's fresh, but it seems as as improbable as maddening as any they've ever had. We've seen a lot of Jets games that have been tough for fans to... Pr- this one, Mike, I, I I still I still can't believe it. I got to be honest. I still can't believe it. I'm watching the game and saying, this isn't going to happen. This this isn't going to... And, and it happened. I cannot believe it. The tackle by Brandon Mann, the Jets punter, oh may God. have changed history because if he doesn't make that uh, tackle late in the fourth quarter, the Rams may win the game. I agree with you. That is the tackle that will go down in history. Who would have thought that a punter's tackling abilities would cost the Jets potentially Trevor Lawrence? That's how it shapes up. That tackle by the punter, the punter, that is the most Jets thing ever. Yeah. Of all the games they could have won, you know, Vegas at home, you could say, yes, that could happen. But the Rams on the road after getting waxed at Seattle, changing your defensive coordinator, it just was the most improbable set of circumstances. And Adam, to be fair, the game shouldn't even have been that close. They dominated the Rams. Unbelievable. Now, let me ask you a question. You were with the Jets in January of 1997 when they went to Denver to play in the AFC Championship game, held a 10-0 lead at halftime in Denver against John Elway, botched the second half kickoff, and narrowly lost the game. Do you think it's a more devastating blow to the New York Jets franchise to lose that AFC Championship game in Denver or have the punter make the tackle that results in a win that beats Los Angeles that potentially costs your franchise the prospect that many consider to be the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning? Oh, boy. Mike Greenberg may be a better guy to ask that question to. <laughs> but what would Mike Tannenbaum say? Well, you know, for me, I would say, obviously, the, the championship game in Denver, because here's why. Uh, by the way, that was after the 98 season, I believe. So I think it was January of 99. But I would say this. Atlanta upset Minnesota earlier in the day. And we felt like we could beat Atlanta if we got to the Super Bowl. So I would say that kickoff return. 30 minutes away from potentially, and, you know, we'd still have to go win the game, but could have cost us the ultimate Super Bowl ring because we had the lead at halftime, we would have gotten to the game, and I think we would have beaten the Falcons. As I said to you on take one of this podcast, the Broncos were petrified of playing that 15-1 and Vikings team with Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Robert Smith. It was an all-time team that suffered – one of the most surprising upsets in a conference championship game that I could ever remember. Nobody thought the Falcons with Dan Reeves doing the dirty bird could go into Minnesota and beat the Vikings. It's exactly what happened. And then the winner of that Broncos jets January 98 AFC championship game, I think was going to win the Super Bowl no matter what. And that's exactly what happened. So the jets did lose the Super Bowl that day. They lost the conference championship game, but the opportunity to win the Super Bowl 
I don't know though, Mike, this is so fresh though, that, that this feels just as deflating and dispiriting and discouraging to the jet fans as that AFC conference championship game loss in Denver 22 years ago. Yeah. And, and again, when you think about and taking nothing away from Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, any of those guys, barring something unforeseen, Trevor Lawrence will be great. He has a chance to be an all-time great character, ability. He checks every box, and there's a steep, steep drop-off from anybody else. So, look, maybe there'll be the Adam Schefter podcast part three with the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> the Chicago Bears, but unless something like that happens um, – Trevor Lawrence will be a Jaguar. And, and by the way, in typical Jets fashion, I grew up a Jets fan back in the day, but the Jets had the chance to get Peyton Manning and didn't assure him that he would be the number one overall pick and he went back to school. And then they had the chance to get Trevor Lawrence were three games away and had their punter make an open field tackle on the Los Angeles Rams return man that saved that game and cost the Jets, cost the Jets. They won the game, but it cost the Jets potentially Trevor Lawrence. Can't make it up. You cannot make it up. And again, even like when you think about Adam, like strength of schedules, like we're coming down to like fractions, a tenth of, of like one tenth of 1% in terms of like the difference isn't that big, but you know, again, barring something unforeseen, if things play out the way we believe they will um, in all likelihood sitting here on Monday, December 21st, you know, Trevor Lawrence will be a Jaguar and should be for a long time. And again, to me, the more interesting discussion is going to be around who will be coaching Trevor Lawrence next year. Maybe Dabo Sweeney will listen to Mike Tannenbaum, take your advice and become the next head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Mike, really appreciate take two of the Adam Schefter podcast. Happy holidays to you and your family. Happy New Year. Thanks for all the time you gave to me twice this past week. It's my pleasure and uh, happy birthday to you as well as happy holidays to you and your family. Thanks, Mike. And there is the former general manager of the New York Jets, former executive of the Miami Dolphins, a man who understands all the ramifications of having and losing the number one overall pick, Mike Tannenbaum. Before we're joined by the man who is expected to be the presumptive number one overall pick in the 2021 draft, Trevor Lawrence, who was kind enough to take some time out of his schedule before his team beat Notre Dame on Saturday, December 19th. First, a word about a head coach that Mike Tannenbaum used to work with, Rex Ryan. Rex is in our 16-team War Room Fantasy Football League at ESPN. We've got Morton, it, the Hasselbacks, a number of people that we work with, Teddy Bruschi. And Rex and his team were good enough to advance to the playoffs this year, one of eight teams. And in the opening round, a man who was sitting with Rex in the ESPN War Room watching his reaction to his team getting blown out by Mort's team and losing, he said Rex was, in his words, despondent, yelling at the TVs. Rex Ryan was all of us in fantasy football playoffs, losing his mind over the fact that his team was losing its fantasy football matchup. And I said to Chris Mortensen and Seth Markman, our boss, I said, you got to ask Rex, is it worse to lose in the NFL playoffs we're in the war room fantasy football playoffs. And I didn't think Mort would have the gall and the courage to ask the man he was beating if that was the situation, if that was the question. But guess what? Mort sent Rex a text that said, Rex, worse to lose in the NFL playoffs or war room playoffs, asking for a friend. And Rex's response, and I read because I have the quote, 
War Room by far. So I just want you to know that it's not just the average fan who gets immersed in the competition and drama of fantasy football. It's former head coaches who play it themselves. Rex Ryan's team lost in the opening round of the fantasy football playoffs. He's still trying to recover from it, and it's not easy to get over a loss like that. All right, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. Now, on to the man who all this conversation has been and will continue to be about. He is expected to be the number one overall pick. He joined us in the days leading up to the game against Notre Dame when we thought he would be the number one overall pick of the New York Jets, only to find out that the Jets would beat the Rams on Sunday. And now Trevor Lawrence is in position to call Jacksonville home for years to come. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. But here's what Trevor Lawrence had to say when he joined us last week. Trevor. Hey, hey, man. How are you doing? This is Adam Schefter. How are you, how are you doing? Doing well. Good to hear from you, man. It's, it's nice to talk with you. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Trevor, I guess I should start out and ask you what this whole year has been like for you going through a year where fans are limited in the stands, COVID is the big issue, you get COVID yourself, everybody in the country is gunning for you. What has this year been like for you? It's been crazy. I mean, just um, from a mental and, I guess, psychological uh, standpoint, it's definitely been different than any other year. I think it's kind of shown um, just not even talking about me personally, just as far as college football and programs go, it kind of has weeded out some of the programs that are either, you know, not the culture isn't as good or they're still re- building it up or whatever. I think it's kind of shown what, 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 which schools have done a good job of handling it and where their players really um, love playing here. You see some of the schools that are, it's kind of, you know, give them an, a competitive advantage, if you will, this year. Then you see other schools where kind of fell off the wagon. So I think for, for us and for me, it's just been trying to stay locked in because obviously this is a crazy time, but eventually things are going to get back to normal and you, you want to feel like that you made the most of the time, even though it's been crazy. So that's been the biggest thing for me, but it's been harder. There's been a lot more distractions, obviously the uncertainty with everything. And then um, the Florida State week, for example, you pr- prepare all week. My first game back after three weeks and then boom, game gets canceled the morning of when we're in Florida. So just things like that are mentally and physically kind of like draining just because you put put a weekend of physical prep, but also mental prep and hours of watching tape and getting ready. 
and then it's just you don't get the chance to to perform. So I mean that's that's frustrating, but obviously in a time like this, it's kind of expected and, and to to a certain extent. But man, it's been it's been different different than any year I've experienced. But Trevor, it's been different for everybody everywhere. The NFL level, the real world, all across the country, everybody's dealing with it in their own ways, right? So you're dealing with it in your college football way, and you're still writing your story this season. But when it's written, when you look back at this season and you think back to your last year at Clemson, I presume, what will you think of and what will you remember most about this particular season? I think just enjoying enjoying uh, this year here. I mean, obviously, it's kind of been stripped down to the basics. Like you said, there's no fans, really. I mean, there's there's a few, I guess, but it's yeah. very limited. And just being able to – not being able to go out and do a ton of stuff, but just being here with, with my teammates, my friends – that it's just been special, you know. I feel like we've gotten really close this year. We've kind of been through a lot, so we've come closer together. But I really just remember just being able to just go, go out there and play football. Obviously, that's that was in doubt at the beginning of the year, so just grateful for that. And I think I've I've grown a lot this year and this off season. I felt like I kind of learned how to be a pro in a sense because more responsibility was on all of us on our own because we were in different places having to get get the work in wherever we were. We weren't here in Clemson, you know, have mandatory workouts every morning and then, uh, you know, film and all that stuff. So I think that for me, that was a good, you know, I got to grow in that way was like, okay, this is what I got to do on my own. I got to really grow up in a sense and, and be responsible. Was there any part of you with the season being what it was that thought about opting out? There were some players that did that. Did you ever give any consideration to doing that, Trevor? I, I thought about it a, a little bit. I mean, I never really... Never really got to the point where I almost decided to do that, but I did. You know, it went through my mind like, okay, what are the pros and cons either way of playing or not playing? Um, and then it ultimately came down to just, you know, I, I love to play football and I love I love Clemson, and I, I felt like I wasn't ready to I wasn't ready to move on yet. Um, I wanted that that last year that I've you know expected to have. You know, I never went into college thinking I'm only going to play two years of, of football. You know, I'm thinking four maybe three, but who knows? And then to only play two, I was like, especially the way it ended last year, I really wanted to, to get another shot with, you know, friends and teammates here to end the right way. So that was the biggest thing for me was just, I don't think I was ready to, to leave Clemson behind yet, you know? When it's like that, Trevor, do you go through and say, this is the last time I'm going to go to play in this stadium. This is the last time I'll play in front of these fans. Last home game, last time I'm playing with this. Do you have little mental checklists of things that you get to try to savor a little bit more believing that it's your last year there. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think you have to, right. It's uh, yeah. it's just one of those things. If, if you don't, you, you miss it kind of, and then you get to the end and you're like, man, I wish I would have, I wish I really would have really thought about everything and thought about that being my last time out on the field playing or whatever, um, running down the hill, stuff like that. Like, it's just, I think if you don't make, like you said, a little checklist and, kind of smell the roses, if you will, you, yeah. you kind of miss it. So that's what I've been trying to do. And that's why I said I've just been really grateful this year of the little things, being able to practice, um, be around the guys all the time. Obviously, there's a lot of people that aren't around really anyone every day with how crazy this time is in our country. So I'm just grateful to be around good people and just trying to enjoy it. You know what you should do? You should get a friend to video your final weeks there with the football program journal it do something to commemorate it because you'll look back on it and you'll be grateful to have that one day be kind of cool if you did that trevor that's smart i should that'd be some good 
Hey, you know what? Look, it's like Michael Jordan documenting that season for the last dance. Other players charting certain things. You're going to want the memories of being there at Clemson. And for the last month that you're there, for your final little journey here, you should have somebody document that for you. You look, first of all, it has some value. Okay. And then beyond that, it'll have a lot of personal value to you. Yeah, that's that's smart. I, I need to look into that. Yes, you do. Okay, and and uh, I'm happy to consult with you on that. Aside from the value point of it, I think I think it'd be really worthwhile. I'm in the football world here, the 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 NFL world here, Trevor. Right. So I'm just curious to know how much attention and how closely you follow who's going to wind up with the number one overall pick in the NFL. Um, I mean, I think it's it's not. I guess it's not super hard to follow just with social media and everything's so publicized. Like it's kind of clear right now what it's what it's going to look like but i try not to think about it too much honestly if that whether you know because obviously anything can change you know there's there's trades there's a team that could they could flip at the end of the season who knows like all those things so i don't really think about that obviously right now in the present kind of who the team would be is pretty obvious it's, it's the jets i mean you I, you know i'm not gonna be naive and you know i hear it all the time obviously so that's obvious but i try not to put too much stake in it and look further down the line of like what could happen here I'm just trying to play well play the best I can finish well and then kind of handle everything as it comes when you say you hear it all the time what do you hear the Jets are gonna have the first pick that's where I'm gonna end up all that stuff and I just kind of try to ignore it because in my mind I still have three games left to finish to to finish the right way here at Clemson win another national championship which has ultimately been my goal for this season and then hopefully in that process, play well enough and be the number one pick. Obviously, that's a, that's a, that would be an awesome thing to accomplish. Um, it would be a lot of work put in uh, towards that. But I think right now it's not like I'm just destined to be the number one pick, like a lot of people say. So I try to not even really put, take much stake in that. And that's not your job, right? Again, you are focused on your final college games and trying to get to that national championship and trying to savor and enjoy this experience. But it's kind of my job here while we're on the phone and while we're talking, and I appreciate your time, to just ask you, if that were the case, and it's hypotheticals, how would you feel about being in the New York market? How would that appeal to you? Have you ever been to New York, spent time in the New York area, know anything about it? I haven't. You know, I haven't been. I really haven't been that many places, honestly. Uh, so I haven't been to New York. I've heard a lot of a lot of good things. It's definitely different from what I'm used to being here in Clemson. I don't know if you've been down here but it's <laughs> totally different i'm sure I've, but, been to, um, I've, I've been to clemson a couple of times more than you've been to new york yeah, I, can't believe, I can't believe you've never been to new york ever that's amazing to me i know it's, it's crazy so wouldn't that be that'd be kind of cool if that was my first time going to show up with with bags so <laughs> <laughs> but anyways no i mean i i was just talking i was just telling someone um who was asking like i i really it sounds like the cliche answer but I'm just going to be happy to have the opportunity wherever that is. I know obviously there's some teams that um, it's going to be more of a process to, to get to the point where they want to be, but I'm ready to take on any challenge really. And whatever team wants me, I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy about that. And I'm going to, I'm going to give my all. Um, obviously that's, that's coming here soon. Um, so I'm, I, you know, I haven't thought about it too much. I'm going to have more time after the season to kind of get in that gear, but really I just want to go somewhere and, and have a chance to win and and help a team do that because I feel, feel like out of everything that's what I do best is, is win um, regardless of stats whatever the numbers are might not have the best in those but I feel like that's what I do the best you know Trevor back in October 
you said something to the effect of whether you're leaving school, it's a tough decision. We'll just have to see how things unfold. And I don't know if you realize it, but when you say something like that, the sports media market in New York, the tabloids, the back pages, sports talk, everybody's wondering what you're going to do. Now, again, a month earlier, a month before that, you had said you would plan for this to be your last year. Certainly sounds like it's your last year. You're savoring it like it's your last year. Do you realize, ever stop to think about how much stock people are putting in your words, like a simple statement, how much people analyze <laughs> that in each of these cities, New York, Jacksonville, Atlanta, wherever it may be? Are you aware of that? Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't before. I think I've always tried to be careful with what I say. Just I guess that's been my my lesson throughout kind of being in the spotlight of the past few years. That's just important in general. But yeah, it's it's hard to <laughs> the thing is I, I I whenever they ask me that question, I really just didn't want to box myself in and kinda make that decision right there. Like, hey, this is my this is my decision. I'm not gonna let someone force me into answering this question a certain way, you know? So that was my thing. It's like I'm not gonna close close any doors. So I just was like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot that could happen. Who knows? Um I, you know, that's something I'll, I'll figure out or whatever. I don't even remember what exactly I said, but, and it wasn't even that big a deal. And then, gosh, my phone's blowing up. People are like, he's coming back. Another, so it's crazy, man. But yeah, you're right. Just seeing that, I'm like, gosh, everyone really is listening to what I say in these interviews. Sometimes you forget that. <laughs> that, and that's the whole point. You're 21 years old and fans in these NFL markets are hanging on your every word. And you are the subject of all these discussions that comes up, and it hangs over every Sunday. And yes, the Jets, the Jaguars, whoever it may be, the season's still unfolding. Everybody is tracking your words, your actions. What is it like to be 21 years old and to experience that? Is that a pressure? Is that a privilege? What is that? Yeah, it's it's both, I think, at the same time. <laughs> Extremely both. But it's it's one of those things where... I've learned, you know, since my, really my, I've kind of been dealing with it for a few years, but since really my freshman year after winning the national championship, my life kind of exploded, um, kind of burst onto the scene. And that was, everything's kind of been a little different since then and just been escalating. But I think that's the biggest thing for me has been surrounding myself with, with people that are the right voices. You know, people aren't that, that aren't just going to blow me up. Um, That happens enough and people that aren't, you know, just using me. So that's, that's something I've tried to do is surround myself with good people um, that really just our relationship doesn't really have anything to do with football. So that's been the number one thing that's helped me. And then too, like, it's funny you mentioned that I was just thinking about if someone could have an inside look on the stuff, some of, some of the players deal with such as myself, it would be interesting to see um, how just an everyday person um, would deal with it, especially a younger, a younger person. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. People, I don't think people understand that kind of the voices, the stuff we hear, um, the publicity, being on the TV, all those things is like, it just kind of all accumulates and you got to eventually just shut it out somehow. And that's what I've, I've tried to do this year. Cause it can be a lot. If you, if you pay too much attention to it, I got to tell you, it's very hard for anybody, no less a 21 year old to experience that. And you said the word escalate and I'm, I don't mean to alarm you, but it's going to really escalate at the next <laughs> level, Trevor. I mean, it's going to really escalate, especially if you do wind up in New York and you've got all the tabloids and all the reporters. Like, your life, in a way, does not belong to you. 
It belongs to others in certain ways. And the challenge will be to rein it all in, continue to stay within that circle of people that you're talking about. But your life, as you know it, is going to, it's blown up already. Wait, wait till you see what's going to happen. Uh, do you ever think about that at all? A little bit. I mean, people have said things along those lines to me and just so got me thinking. But I think it's just important that you see guys that have handled it well, that have not handled it well, and you kind of see the how their careers went according to that. So I think the biggest thing is just um, you, you have to know who you are before you step into that. And that's what I've been building here at Clemson is a strong foundation, um, figuring out who, who I am, who I want to be moving forward, and just standing firm in that, regardless of all the craziness that's thrown at me, especially um, at that level, it's going to, like you said, escalate. So, and I don't even, I can't even fully understand it because I haven't been there. So um, just learning as I go, obviously, I'm, I'm super grateful. I'm going to be married. Uh, so that'll be awesome to have my, my best friend with me going into a new, into a new journey, new place. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. But uh, I think that's the biggest thing is just staying true to who I am, not changing for, for anybody or for, you know, any circumstance. You bring up who I am and who I want to be. So who are you and who do you want to be, Trevor? I think the, the, the biggest thing in my life is my faith. And, you know, really that's the foundation of my whole life. And that's kept me grounded through all the craziness. And then along with that is I'm just a guy who loves playing football, um, happens to be pretty good at it. And, and that's, that's really like I, I love playing football. I'm a Christian. And my family is the most important thing to me. Those are three things. I guess off the top of my head, that's who I am and really just want to, I just want to be a good person. I think it sounds simple, but in this lifestyle, everything is kind of tends to be about us and about the players. And I just want to be a good person. I want to help people. Um, I don't want to make my life all about me all the time. And that's something I've, I've been working on the past few years. And um, I think those are the biggest things to me. Is there anybody that you've leaned on for advice about the next level uh, a, a Peyton Manning, somebody who's been through it, an Andrew Luck, a heralded player at the college level who knows what you are about to go through. Anybody offer any wisdom to you in that regard, Trevor? Yeah, there's been tidbits here and there from a, a ton of different people. I really couldn't even name all the people, but just a lot of people that maybe haven't been in the exact same position, but I've dealt with the scrutiny and I guess being in the spotlight. I've, I've talked to a lot of people and got some advice from whether that's NFL players or um, some guys that have worked with NFL players and have seen how their um, life has gone and unfolded and how it's changed from college to the NFL. But then also Coach Sweeney has been a huge resource to me. Um, I think there's obviously there's a lot of people who judge Coach Sweeney pretty hard, but how he's lived his life has been um, a great example, I think. of He's a guy that's constantly in the spotlight. Everyone listens to every word he says and critiques it. And But I've gotten an inside look on how he lives his life every day. And I think he's a great example of he is who he says he is. It's not a facade. So just seeing him live his life and be consistent and really just care about people, I think that's been a good example to me, along with a lot of other people in this building and, and beyond. Hey, Trevor, I'm not going to take up any more time than I already have. I want to thank you for granting us these few minutes. I wish you luck the next level. You have the mindset and the mentality to attack the next level. And it sounds like you're going to be a great success there. And I look forward to watching it and documenting it. But get somebody to document while you're there, finishing your career as well. No doubt. I'm going to check that out. But thank you, Adam. Appreciate you. And there he is, the presumptive number one overall pick of the 2021 NFL Draft, Trevor Lawrence. 
And as impressive as he is on the football field, that's how impressive he is off the field. You heard there. I had never spoken to Trevor Lawrence before. He's 21 years old. I'm 54. And I felt very comfortable talking to him, just as I think he sounded very comfortable talking to an adult, answering questions about a future home, topics that probably are not something that he really wants to address while he's trying to get to and win another national championship. But he did a great job handling himself. And that tells you that he is ready for the next step. And he's going to be a great face of a franchise, wherever that goes, wherever that is, probably in Jacksonville next for Trevor Lawrence. And we certainly will be following him and wish him the best with his next opportunity as he gets ready to undoubtedly turn pro and become the number one overall pick in the 2021 draft. All right. And now on to our next guest, a Monday night colleague of mine. And as we tape this on Monday, December 21st, we are about to head into New York City, our studios at the Seaport for one of ESPN's two final Monday night games of the season. And the way we work this is every Monday, we have a production meeting at two o'clock before the Monday night countdown show. It's with our producers, Matt Garrett, Greg Shapiro, our researchers, Evan Kaplan, Chad Minatello, and of course, the Monday Night Countdown crew, Susie Culber, Randy Moss, Brooke McFarland, Steve Young, and me. We sit around, we talk about the show, the areas that we're going to go, what we're going to hit on in Come On Man, and we do it in this hotel in New York City. And it's been quite an ordeal doing it during a pandemic, obviously a lot of stress. I proposed to everybody. Two weeks ago, I said, hey, on the final Monday Night Countdown production meeting, which is Monday, December 28th, we got to have an ice cream party because they're at this hotel where they all stay at. I drive in for the day and they say the hotel is the best ice cream. And I said, you know what? Let's have a end of the season ice cream party. Even though we're older, like who doesn't love an ice cream party at the end of the year? So how cool is that? So we're getting ready for our ice cream party coming up here. But until we have that ice cream party, first today, our next guest. All right. Joining us now, my friend, my colleague. The ESPN analytics and statistical guru, Evan Kaplan. Evan, happy holidays. Happy New Year to you and your family. We heard Mike Tannenbaum, the ESPN analyst who used to be the Jets general manager and executive with the Miami Dolphins. We heard Trevor Lawrence, the presumptive number one overall pick in this draft. And I'm curious to know what your perspective is on the Jets and the Jaguars, the Jets losing out on that pick as of this taping on Monday, December 21st, Jacksonville potentially moving into that number one slot. What do we make of all that right now? Yeah, thanks, Adam. And, and happy holidays to you and your family as well. And the really fascinating part, and it, it's really the visual that you see. And, uh, you know, we're taping this, as you said, Monday afternoon, December 21st. We're going to show it on Monday Night Countdown. The visual of how the chances flipped with that one win by the Jets, 76% for the Jets to get the number one pick before their win. It goes to 74% for the Jaguars after. Everybody knows that the Jaguars now have uh, certainly the the likely chance to get Trevor Lawrence and get that number one pick. But when you look at the visual, it, it really gives you some perspective. And the other thing, which I know you and Mike Tannenbaum talked about, like it, it's just like the Jets' luck to potentially finish 1-15 and not get this number one pick. So I look back and I was curious, you know, Two one in fifteen teams, which we'll see what happens over the final two weeks, but the potential for that to happen, I didn't feel like that's happened very often. And my my hunch was correct. When you exclude the strike shortened nineteen eighty two season, the last time there were two one win teams for an entire season was nineteen sixty nine. You know, that's that's over fifty years ago. 
So the Jets, in a season when they're 1-15, of course another team would potentially go 1-15 as well. And as everyone knows, they would lose out on the strength of schedule tiebreaker. And again, I'm going to come back to the point that Mike made. It's right. Braden Mann, Braden Mann goes down in Jets history as the man that may have cost them trouble, a punter. Like, I mean, you can't even make it up. Now, Braden Mann, the scouting reporter, him, is strong, tough guy, mm-hmm. went to Texas A&M, came out, was a Ray guy, award winner in 2018 as the yep. nation's best punter. He's one of the team captains. He was an all-SEC first-team pick the past two seasons. So that tells you the guy's a legitimate player, a legitimate punter. Yep. But the, who would have thought that the Jets needed to go the route of the Jacksonville Jaguars, actually, whose punter basically got placed on the reserve list. They didn't have a punter on right. Sunday against Baltimore. The Jets did. It may have been the difference in the game. It may be the difference in the draft. And now the Jets could be picking number two. So – Let's take a look at this. Jacksonville right now is in the one slot. Yep. New York is in the two slot. What do we make of this quarterback class and the potential of it this spring, Evan? Yeah, so let's start with Trevor Lawrence as the headliners. Certainly his college resume speaks for itself. You know, as as we're taping this now before the college football playoff, he's 34-1 and as a starting quarterback. The one loss was against LSU in last season's national championship. His numbers are off the charts. The scouting report's off the charts. We know he's going to go first overall. He'll be the highest drafted Clemson player in the common draft era. Um, so we know that's the case, but I think the, the big thing to keep in mind as we, we talk going forward to the draft is how deep this quarterback class could be. Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. We, it, it seems almost a foregone conclusion that we'll have five quarterbacks in the first round this year, maybe more, but five would be tied for the second most in the first round in the common draft era. The most was six quarterbacks in the first round. The famed class of 1983, Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, John Elway was first overall, Ken O'Brien, Todd Blackwich, Tony Eason, three of those guys in the Hall of Fame. Uh, The other times we had five were 1999 and 2018. And let's for a second talk about 2018, Adam, because I think it ties in so closely with what's going to happen in the 2021 draft because of the Jets. So 2018, Baker Mayfield was the first pick. Sam Darnold went to the Jets. We've seen the incredible things that Josh Allen has done. Lamar Jackson has won an MVP. Josh Rosen, the one of that group that hasn't really worked out. But that 2018 class, I think, is one that you can look at and potentially compare to the 2021 class. Trevor Lawrence, certainly expectations-wise, may be better than any of those guys. But Josh Allen's first three years and Lamar Jackson have been hard to compare with. So I think you're going to have the, the overall number in this class. And then you talk about what's going to be with the depth of the class as well. And I brought up 1983, another class that I loved when we're talking about quarterback history, and they didn't have the overall numbers. There were four quarterbacks picked in the first round in 2004, but Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, all guys who are likely headed to the Hall of Fame. Two of those guys have won multiple Super Bowls in Manning and Roethlisberger. If this 2021 class can accomplish what that 04 class did in 15 years, they'll have done well for themselves in the NFL. My early prediction, though, it's interesting. I don't know that the Jets will go quarterback at two. I think they would have gone. They absolutely would have gone quarterback at one. I'm not convinced they're going to go quarterback at two, but we're going to see how that plays out. Now, listen, we're taping this, as we mentioned, on Monday, December 21st. 
We're also going to see how the rest of the regular season plays out into the postseason. I'm just curious, as we sit here with week 15 virtually complete, how you assess the playoff field and what you think of the teams that could potentially emerge here, Evan. I think it has to start with the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs, and I'm not going out on a limb there. I mean, they're, they're 13 and one as we tape this. They've won some close games, but they've won all of those games, and some of them have been, you know, on the road against tough opponents, uh, like we saw in, in Week 15 on Sunday against the Saints. You know, they have a 34 percent chance to win the Super Bowl, according to our Football Power Index. That's more. That's about twice as high as the next closest team, which is the Packers. So in the AFC. Uh, I think the Chiefs you have to put at the top. I think the Bills are the team that's playing the second best right now. But the interesting thing is you've got a lot of teams in that group of 10-9 wins, the Titans, the Browns, the Colts, the Ravens or Dolphins. We'll see which one of them gets in. I would not be surprised if you if you have a team that just gets hot. I mean, the Ravens will see. The AFC playoffs, I think um, the Chiefs are at the top. But I'm not sure who they're going to play in that AFC championship. You know what's unbelievable? You know, you know what's unbelievable? The Chiefs have won 11 straight road games. 11. Yeah, no, they, they don't lose. They don't lose. Uh, they don't lose. They really don't lose anywhere. But they haven't lost on the road uh, since that Titans game last in November last season, right after Mahomes came back from his injury. Only loss at home was at home to the Raiders this year. What they've done is incredible. Um, you know, among the best starts ever for a defending Super Bowl champion. And I think the big question will be, which is the team that emerges from that next group? Because I think you've got some really good teams in that next group behind the Chiefs. Uh, and then in the NFC, really interesting. I don't know that you have a dominant team in the NFC. So I think the NFC playoffs could be wide open. I mean, the Packers are in the number one spot as we talk right now. They have the best chance to get home field. Nobody wants, as we talked about on the podcast last week, I don't think anyone wants to go to Lambeau Field if it's, you know, five below zero in the yep. middle of January, especially, you know, potentially teams like the Saints and the Buccaneers. Um, but, you know, the Packers haven't been a dominant team. They, I think Aaron Rodgers admitted as such after that game against the Panthers on Saturday that they're not going to be able to play like they did in the second half and win in the postseason. I think there's teams that can get hot that are at the bottom of the NFC playoff picture right now. Who knows about Tom Brady and the Buccaneers? I don't think anyone, you know, necessarily wants to face Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and the Cardinals. You know, the Rams have been so up and down that their highs have been so high that they won at Tampa Bay. They won at Arizona, an impressive win a few weeks ago. We know the loss against the Jets this past Sunday. And then we'll see what happens with other teams like the Seahawks and the Saints. So I think to, to kind of summarize it, AFC, Chiefs, and then the Bills for me, and the NFC, I'll stick with the Packers just because that those two home games in Lambeau will be so tough. But don't be surprised if a wild card team comes out of the NFC. Yeah, but the Rams get eliminated from the playoffs for losing to the Jets. I think. I mean, that that's really? the official You're rule. Gonna, we're going to change the bylaws to the playoffs because of that. Well, I mean that. Yeah, listen. I just I, again, I'm still having a hard time processing the whole thing. But, I just, but, I but just here's the, but, but here's the thing, Adam. As, as, as awful a loss as that was and say whatever uh, the reasons for it we could talk about for days. So we won't get into that. If they if they win in Seattle on Sunday in week 16, they will be back in first place in the NFC West. I, I know. I, I, <laughs> you, you can't get, but you can't get over that loss, I can tell. No, you know, and, and by the way, like, I'm not a fan anymore. I root no, for I know, people. I know. I'm not. But honestly, like, I'm, 
I am truly disappointed for all my friends right. who follow the Jets. Right. They went through this whole year. They've gone through decades of this crap, to nope. be honest. No, and they yeah. were looking forward to getting this guy, and it was just right. snatched for them for nothing. I know. I know. That, oh my, and, and by the way, like the team, they played – They nobody should have to endure an 0-16 seed. I got wow. it. I got wow. it. But still, like I'm just telling you, I just I, – I can't believe it. Plus – we had to redo this whole podcast, so that, that's the way that goes. <laughs> well, look, maybe, as, as I believe Mike Tannenbaum said, maybe the Jets will have everything work out for them. The Jaguars will go out, and they'll either beat the Bears or maybe the Colts won't have anything to play for Week 17, and maybe the Jets will get a lifeline. There's still two weeks of hope. Yeah. Yeah, you, ne- you never know. That's why they play the games. Evan, we appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to you and your family. And uh, appreciate all you've done for me and this podcast this year. Thanks a lot, Adam. Same to you. We'll talk to you next year. There is ESPN analytics guru Evan Kaplan on what is our final podcast episode of the season. And as we begin to close the book on 2020 and look ahead to 2021, thankfully for all of our sake, just want to point out what a difficult year 2020 was and all the great people that we lost in 2020. Now, every year on New Year's Eve, I like to compile a list of names of people who lost their lives that year, just one final time to remember them in the year in which they lost their lives. And I keep a running track of it and have done this for years. And the list of names of people who've lost their lives in 2020 is off the charts. And I would dare say there was more sadness, more loss, more high profile loss this year then I would venture to say any year that I can remember, maybe ever. And it started on New Year's Day last year when I was sitting there watching, I think it was the Rose Bowl when ESPN announced that David Stern had passed away. And on the very same day that David Stern passed away, Don Morrison, the last man to throw a perfect game in the World Series, he died. And the names just kept coming. Sam Weish, George Perlis, and then, of course, the plane crash that everybody will always remember. Kobe Bryant, Gigi Bryant, John Altobelli. That was a time and a moment that everybody will remember where they were when that happened. And the death just kept coming. Chris Dolman, Willie Wood, Roger Kahn, Maura Mant, the great ESPN ESPYs producer, James Lipton, Ed Ingalls, Del Schaffner, Curly Neal, Tom Dempsey, Bobby Mitchell, Al Kaline, Tavares Jackson, Hank Steinbrenner, Willie Davis, Mike Curtis, the great football coach, Don Shula, John Tierlink, a friend of mine, Ray Shea Codwell, Ken Riley, Jim Kick, Max Turk, Joe Bugle, Carlton Hasselrig, Regis Philbin, Pete Hamill, Howard Mudd, Chadwick Bozeman. That was a brutal one. They're all brutal, but that one hurt. John Thompson, Tom Seaver, Larry Wilson, Gail Sayers, Bob Gibson, Whitey Ford, Joe Morgan, Fred Dean, Sid Hartman, Jimmy Orr, Travis Roy, Herb Adderley, Paul Hornig, Jake Scott, Diego Maradona, Jim Hannafin, Ray Perkins, Lorenzo Talaferro. I'm sure I'm leaving off people, 
But that's a partial list of some of the names that I compiled. I didn't even include a guy like Vaughn McClure, the great ESPN reporter down in Atlanta, a colleague of ours. So many people this year, so many great people and so many memorable people who made a difference in our lives. And I just wanted to repeat one final time on the way out of 2020, how much we remember these people, how much we will miss these people and what a difference they made in all of our lives. May all of them rest in peace and thank you for all that they did. I want to thank our guest today on this podcast, Mike Tannenbaum, who we did one version of the podcast when we thought the Jets were going to have the number one pick on Friday, another version of the podcast after the Jets won, which was really a loss, which led us to redo Mike Tannenbaum's segment and lead to other ideas and other discussions. Thank you for Mike for putting up with us. Thank you to Trevor Lawrence for taking the time out of his schedule as he was preparing for a game against Notre Dame to come on our podcast at the end of the year. Really appreciate that, Trevor. Thank you very much. Thank you to Evan Kaplan for a final look at 2020 and the matchups ahead. And thank you to my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting this all together and putting up with me this entire year. She did a tremendous job. And thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in to this Adam Schefter podcast today and throughout the course of the year. Really love doing the podcast this year. Christina and I have spent a lot of time and energy thinking on ways to improve this, make it better, make it more listenable. And we certainly hope that you all have enjoyed what we've tried to bring to you each week. Some information, some insights, some interviews, just a little something to keep people entertained in what has been a very challenging, sad year that we all will always remember for the remainder of our lives. I want to wish everybody out there a very happy holidays and a very happy new year. Let's hope that 2021, as we turn the page, turns out to be a much smoother, easier, gentler year than 2020. Until then, have a great year, everybody. Happy new year. We'll see you back here in this spot in 2021.